Hello and welcome to Backline Banter, the soccer slash football podcast where we'll be talking about everything football, mainly Premier League based as that is what I watch more often, but there will also be episodes like Champion Leagues where we'll look through the Champions League fixtures and the Europa League ones and, you know, talk about that. But for today, on the up on the agenda, we have what will happen most episodes, more or less, you know, just a little tweaks here and there. But the first one we have is Premier League Summary. This is where I'm going through every single game of that match week and just talking about the goals, the chances missed, if they had a big player out, do I think the team that won deserved to win, how I thought the game went, and so on and so on. And just go through everyone, talk about it, nice, good. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. Premier League summary, I summarise all the games through the week. The next segment we have is the Liverpool experience. I do, in fact, go for Liverpool, so I do watch them a lot more frequently. Well, I do watch Premier League very frequently, but I watch every Liverpool game, the full 90, and I can just talk at that little bit more in depth about it. Instead, you know, Wolves v Brentford, you know, a game like that, like, you know, I'll try to get as best as I can, you know, to talk about it and watch as much as I can of it, but it also takes a lot of time. I know for Liverpool, I'm always watching it, the full 90, and I'll be able to talk very good about it, just like most of the other games. So listen to the other games too. And then next up on the segment, we have the Deep Darwin Dive. I'm not going to explain this one yet. I want you to stick around and find out what it is, but you may be able to figure out what it is based on the name. Um, No hints there. And then next up, for most episodes, we will have a top 10 or like a top 5 listing of, you know, something, something. So for today's episode, we have top a top 10 list and it is the top 10 current centre-backs in the Premier League this season. So I just go through 10, 9, all the way to 1, who I think is the best, talk through a little bit each and each, some of the players that didn't make the list and so on. And then to finish off the episode, we have a blind current Premier League ranking. This is where I have found a website where it has like all the current Premier League players who've played, you know, more than 500 minutes. I've gone on just Google, random number generation. So I'll try to do my best to show that it is blind ranking and I'm not cheating, but most of the time you're just going to have to take my work for it. First game for the Premier League summary, we have Everton at home versus Spurs. That game finished 2-2, Richarlison with two goals. Very good he was indeed, and commendably, he didn't celebrate one of the goals. So what we've got here, Richarlison scores within four minutes by a nice cutback by Udogi. So he did a nice run up down, up, down the line, cut it back to Richarlison. He first time hit it into the goals and scored. And in the 30th minute, Dwight McNeil whipped in a corner. And this is, you know, a talking point, that's for sure. And it's coming up a lot recently now with players standing on the goalkeeper trying to, like, block and stop their run to jump and punch and claim the ball when the, from the cross. And now, at the start of the season, it seemed very much like, no, you can't do it, it's a foul. But recently, it's seeming a lot more like, nah, it's okay as long as, you know, you don't give him a shoulder shove or something like that, where what I think, 
Uh, I think it's fair. I think it's fair as long as you're not, you know, shoving him or that. But if you're kind of standing your ground and you're not doing like aggressively, then fair play. You know, you're doing a smart play. In my opinion, Vicario should do better to kind of like rush past him. I know it's hard to to see and especially the goalkeepers will be thinking now like, well, so far this season, if that happens, it's a foul. So I should be fine. But that's not the case. Um, yeah, the ball floats to the back post. And of course, like I just said, Vicario couldn't come out to claim it because Harrison was standing him in the way. But back post and Tarkovsky heads it back into the danger area. And Calvert-Lewin gets a nice tap on it with his head and scores. Ten minutes later, Richarlison scores a beautiful finesse shot just outside the box, curls it into the top right-hand corner, giving Pickford no chance. And within the first half, Richarlison scoring a brace. I also want to say Madison being back at Spurs, they are looking very good and he is looking very good back from injury. I feel like they definitely missed him, but he was, you know, able to, you know, be kind of forgotten about because you have the likes of Spurs and Richarlison setting up and Kulisevsky. But with, you know, Son going out for AFCON, Madison back in the team and really stepped up that game. I reckon too, if Werner wasn't on the pitch and Son was like in his spot replacing him, but, you know, obviously that couldn't happen because out, out to the Asian Cup, I think I said AFCON before, apologies for that, the Asian Cup, they definitely would have won. I think Werner had a couple really good chances where if that was Son on the other end, he would have bagged him. He would have scored and the game could have ended up 4-2 or at least 3-2, them winning and them taking the full three points back home. Also, a big chance for Yusuf Charmiti. In the 87th minute, the Portuguese striker that played for Everton, they got him for 15 mil at the start of the season from Sporting. And hasn't played many minutes for Everton. Tried to do a little swipe to the goal. But honestly, I mean, if you see the <laughs> see the chance, he had so much time he could have taken a touch and finish. And he was onside as well. So make it that what you will. Could have been his chance to start getting some more game time. But, but luckily for Everton, right at the end of the game, James Garner whips in a free kick on the left-hand side, outside the box. And... Puts it in the danger area, kind of, maybe a little bit out. But Romero goes to there, tries to clear it out. Just hits the top of his head and the ball just skips past him. And who else but the young lad, Jared Branthwaite, to get the finishing header touch and to put it 2-2 right at the end. Really kicking in the guts for Spurs as they had a few more chances than Everton and were unable to finish. And happily for Everton, the point also gets them out of the relegation zone. So with the points shared at Everton versus Tottenham, Tottenham, quite sad for them. They don't get very far. One point doesn't help them. Really, they lost out on the two. But for Everton, that one point gets them out of the relegation zone. But sadly, the next game we're going to talk about, or sadly for Everton, is Newcastle home versus Luton. It ended 4-4. The point won by Luton put Everton straight back into the relegation zone and Newcastle and Luton just out. Newcastle at home versus Luton ended 4-4. 
wow, what a result for Luton. Nobody would have expected them to get a point at St. James's Park against Luton, against Newcastle. Start of the game, as you can expect from Newcastle, they come firing out of the blocks. And as what seems to be happening pretty frequently, them scoring early. So on the seventh minute, a nice cutback from Kieran Trippier to give Longstaff a nice first-time finish into the corner. But sadly for Newcastle, Luton then equalise with a free kick, gets whipped into Morris, and he just heads it straight back to Osho, who does a nice headed finish off the crossbar into the goal. Then two minutes later, a ball gets played to Anthony Gordon, who skips past Osho, cuts inside, keeper saves it, and then it falls to Longstaff, and once again, for his brace early on, slots it past the keeper into the corner once again, and puts Newcastle back in front. Questionable defending from Osho, yeah, yeah, it could be, like, he just gave him the inside a little bit, yeah, a little faint by Gordon, but you've still got to keep him out on that wing and not let him drive past it, but it's hard with a one-on-one situation, Gordon, a really good player, really quick as well, to try and stop him from cutting inside, playing a ball, cutting inside, running, or doing whatever. But fair enough for letting him get past the first time, but then he just lets Anthony Gordon cut inside and then takes a shot, which he should keep him out of the wide. Then Luton go on a three-goal run, unanswered by Newcastle. Then Luton go and score three unanswered goals, one by Barkley, which he scored the most goals against Newcastle than any other club, and on Barkley's return to the Prem for Luton, he has been in phenomenal form. He may not have got as many goals or assists, you know, doesn't look as nice on his record stat for Luton, but he's always been that assist to assist or always involved in the play, that really central mid that dictates if Luton win or not, determined on how good he plays. And this week, he's been very good. The other goal, a penalty by Morris, given away by Dan Byrne. And quite funny, this this goal is. Morris takes a pen and scores it. Bottom right, keeper dives to the left. But then he has to take it again because the referee wasn't ready. So he takes it again and the same outcome happens. He puts a bottom right, keeper goes left, and then they score. Then... For the third goal unanswered for Luton, Adebayo scores the man in form. Last game, scores a hat-trick against Brighton, and this game, he scores one, and he's been an absolute threat. But Newcastle do not give up. They want to get something out of the game. It's at home. If they get one goal, momentum is back in their favour, and they have a chance. So, and luckily for them, Kieran Trippier, from a beautiful cross by Bruno Guimarej, gets a first-time volley into the goal and scores. And to tie the game, the man, Harvey Barnes, off the bench, gets a ball from a little smiley tackle and just goes for accuracy, a shot outside the box and just rolls it bottom left corner. Kaminsky cannot get there and it is a goal, 4-4. And with about 20 minutes left, you would think Newcastle get a winner. But it doesn't. 
they have a couple really good chances, but they are just unable to finish. Wow, again at the start, what an upset. Like Luton have been informed, Newcastle a bit questionable, but at home to Newcastle, they have only lost a couple games in their past nine games at home. So for Luton to go there and draw against them, a bottom team versus team who at the start of the season you'd be like yeah they are fighting for the top four now is more looking like can we fight for even a european spot next we have burnley at home versus fulham the game ended 2-2 fulham a two goal lead and let it slip and burnley came back really showing what they can do in the Premier League. In my eyes too, Fulham is a really good team, especially this season. You know, they had a couple games a few weeks ago, winning by five goals, four goals, and they're just really doing well. But they are a mid-table team, and that's just because they are not consistent enough. And that is really what is hurting them, because they could fight and break into that next next section of the table you know above mid table and honestly they could possibly push for Europe obviously not this season I think it's unable to do but next season if they keep the foundations they've set in the past two years buy a couple players and find a way where they can make that very good form very good run consistent I believe they can go far but as you can see from this game they haven't found out the strategy yet from staying consistent. And the two goals by Fulham, first one from Palinia, a header from a corner by Andreas Pereira, scored, finished it, nice. 1-0 up early on, good for Fulham. And then they capitalised on that, giving themselves an extra lead by Muniz. A nice kind of lob chip shot over the keeper Trafford got a finger to it but it just wasn't enough to keep it from goals very unlucky from Trafford not to get more on it because Muniz could have definitely made the, his shot unsavable but he gave that little bit of a chance but still got the goal and that's all that matters then as I said they let it slip away but it was an app by an absolute brilliance by the man on home debut David Datro Fofana, who belongs to Chelsea, got loaned this January transfer window. Um, at the start of the season, he was loaned to Union Berlin. With <laughs> two games, both off the bench, he has two goals and an assist. So next game, possibly he should start. I mean, you'd think so, playing for Burnley. And in his first two games, both off the bench, Getting three goal contributions in two is very good. Um, the first one, some people have blamed Leno. They say, mm, why did he come out for the cross? But uh, it's a little harsh, so I'll, I'll talk you through it. So the first one, a ball gets played out to Asinion, who dribbles down the left and crosses to Fafana. And it's one of those crosses where it's like, for the keeper at least, where he's like, should I go? Should I get it? Should I not? And Leno said straight away, I'm getting it. I am going for it, trying to catch it to stop them even having a chance. But the cross is just too good and manipulates Leno, to be honest, and make him thinking, yeah, I can probably get a finger punch on this. 
and goes past him straight to David Fafana's head and scores in an empty net. I think it's a little bit harsh to criticise Leno for him coming out because as you're a keeper, you always want to try and come out, do the best for your team, you know, and then people say if, you know, he stayed back and David Fafana scored, everyone would have been like, well, why wouldn't he come out? So unlucky, good cross. Then the second goal, very similar to the first, Odebert gets the ball on the left, same as the first, dribbles down a bit, whips in the cross, but this time it's a low cross, drilled at the bottom, and fives Fafana, who gets that finishing touch into the goal. And I had a look at this one. Ream, very unlucky. The ball just goes behind him and just can't get his back foot to try and intercept it or get a touch to get the ball away and just rolls across him to give Fafana. It's not an easy tap-in because with Ream to the left of him or to in front of him, stopping him from kind of seeing the ball and he's got to anticipate it. But nonetheless, it's the goal and Fafana get Burnley a very much needed point against Fulham, who sadly, just like Everton v Spurs, they lost two points there and they just let it slip right near the end as well. <sighs> Where do I begin this game? Sheffield United at home, nil, Aston Villa, five. Four first half goals. There's not much to say apart from Villa just being really good on the day and Sheffield not being their best and arguably from watching it being one of the worst they have been this season. But, you know, credit to Aston Villa. They played really well and they took their chances. The goal scorers for Aston Villa, first one McGinn, second Watkins, then Bailey, Tillemans and Moreno. Now, do I think Sheffield United is going down? Um, there's no nice way to put this, but yeah, I do think they are going down, sadly. Um, it's always nice to see teams getting promoted and staying for a bit and trying to build on what they've done, you know, like a Brentford and Fulham last season or the one before that. But I do think they will go down. They just don't have... The, the funds to get players to improve their squad and they don't have the players at the moment to keep up with the level. It is quite interesting though because the last time they played on the 23rd of December, it finished 1-1 and it was at Villa's home stadium and really they could have lost that game 1-0 but thanks to Zaniolo, they got that late goal in the 90 plus 7th minute, I believe, to equalise it and get a point. So it's just, it's, it's a bit funny to see how so much changes in a couple of weeks or shows how one team wasn't playing as they should do, as high standards as they usually do. And, you know, a team that don't usually play well do play well. And yeah, in this case, it was pretty standard. Villa playing well, Sheffield no. Then we have Brighton at home versus Palace 4-1. Brighton back to winning ways and dominating, that's for sure. Four goals to Palace's one. Following the loss last week, Brighton 4-0, a loss to Luton, and then 
returning the favor to Palace and beating them 4-1. Definitely, they saw their last week performance and thought, this isn't good enough. We need to be the team that does the battering. And they have proven exactly why Deserbi is such a great manager and the players he has got wants to work for him. And really, they did well. Like Palace, up and down team. Sometimes they play really well. Sometimes it's a bit... Mm, Usually, they're very strong defensive. That's why it's like the four goals conceded. It's a bit like, wow. Lately, though, they have been conceding a few goals. Lewis Dunk starting from early. Him scoring in the third minute from a header by a corner. Very well put Brighton in a good position to continue how they play and do a lot more attacking to get some more goals to give themselves a bigger lead. And that's exactly what they did. Their second goal by Hinshelwood, who I think is a proper bowler. A young man who can play anywhere. He can play left mid, left back, right back, wherever you can put him. Maybe not too far up the pitch, but I'm sure he can do a job there. But yeah, he seems to be a very good bowler. Another young masterclass by Deserby from getting those young talents, putting them in the team, giving their debut. Obviously, it wasn't his debut this game, but... You know, he had to get his debut and continue playing for the team. Done really well. And then within one minute, they scored their third goal by Buonate. And yeah, Palace have the ball from kickoff. Then they lose it. And Brian just attack, attack, attack. A couple night nice passes. Sets up Buonate. And he just finishes it into the corner. Easy as you like. Then as you expect from Brighton being three goals up within 30 minutes they just pass around the bowl try you know kill off the game kill off the minutes give Palace not many chances you know if it's on they'll go forward but if not we'll just keep it why not you know we don't have to attack we don't have to score more goals we get a nice three lead cushion but 70th minute round there Mateta grabs a late goal but it is only a consolation Maybe Palace fans thought, oh, we got one. Maybe we can go and get a couple more. No, no. Brighton put it back into place with a, um, a very nice pass, a very nice back heel by Danny Welbeck to Pedro to allow him to shoot first time in the box and, again, finds a corner and puts him 4-1 up, absolutely killing the game and giving Palace no chance of coming back. Sadly though, Crystal Palace getting nothing out of the game points wise and also picking up two crucial injuries for their players. One is Mark Guayhi who came off injured from a right knee problem he got early on. Um, hopefully he's not out for too long for Palace but it doesn't look the best. Then the other injury, Michael Elise, who, which this one was a bit of a strange one. So he got given the all clear to play um, in that game, but obviously not allowed to start. But um, Roy Hodgson said he got told that he can play him for about half an hour, play him in the second half, and we'll be right. So Roy Hodgson does exactly that. But within nine minutes of Elise on the pitch, he feels his hamstring and has to get subbed off, which really isn't good for Palace because this... To, and to be honest, they're already 3-0 down, so they didn't need to put um, Michael Elise on, but I know you don't want to get him back into game time so then he can start next week game. 
but really you could say he's come back too soon from injury. Whose fault is it? Um, oh, it's not Roy Hodgson because he got told what he got told, so he played him in the second half and he got injured. But I'd say it's a bit of a joint between the medical team staff and Elise, just them not giving him enough time to rest before he coming, coming back onto the pitch. And Elise probably wanting to get out there and trying to get something from the game, but him knowing that he's not 100%, he should just sit it out. But oh well. And you could say Palace is in a bit of strife at the moment with Eze out with a hamstring injury too. Um, some big three players out for them at the moment. Um, if this continues... You could see Roy Hodgson maybe getting the sack. I hope he doesn't because I do like him. You know, yeah, he may be a bit old, but he does the job. And, you know, Palace, I mean, mid-table is what you expect from him. You know, maybe a bit below. Like, So for what he's working with, Roy Hodgson, he's doing a good job at the moment. Speaking of injuries, not good news for United fans. Although they did beat West Ham 3-0 at home, Lissandro Martinez did pick up a knee injury, which is expected to miss him eight weeks. They've just got him back for a few games and injured again. And you can definitely say Martinez in that Man U defense makes it a hell of a lot more solider. That's for sure. But sadly, a bit injury prone. Bit injury prone. He was a bit unlucky, you know. Came down, slide in, and then clashed, and a bit of an awkward fall. But hopefully, he comes back and recovers well because he is a very good centre back. But two very inconsistent teams, you could say, Man U and West Ham, um, both striving for excellence, trying to get very high. West Ham having a bad season last year. Um, well. Some people could argue that because they have gotten their trophy. But um, this season, back to standards in the Premier League. But they could say they've been quite unlucky with some results. And that is down to the inconsistency. They stayed consistent. Top five, honestly. But sadly, that's just how they are sometimes. Same with Manchester United. Start of the season, I was thinking, hmm... They're going to be playing some good ball. But again, inconsistent. Sometimes they win and they play pretty decent. And sometimes they just lose and lose and lose and don't play well at all. You know, the formation is different sometimes. Uh, not the formation. The players is different sometimes. And yeah, it's definitely the inconsistent matchup this week. But thanks to Rasmus Hoyland bit of brilliance from him on his 21st birthday and also a bit of lack of defense by West Ham. He does little dribble, has a shot on his weak foot and absolutely scores. Um, personally, I think the Man U defense gave him a little bit too much space to, you know, skip a couple of players and then, sorry, skip a player and then shoot. So the first half ended 1-0 thanks to Hoyland. And in the second half, right at the start, Ariola gets subbed off for Fabianski. This is just due to, in the first half, Ariola suffered a bit of a knock from a shoulder by Zuma. He kept on playing, you know, no concussion, but 
he might have just been feeling a little bit. And then, you know, they've got a good, you know, second choice keeper in Fabianski. So may as well just kind of rest Ariola and not make him any worse than it is because head injuries are very important. Then in the second half, a bit of the same from the first half by Man U. Garnacho gets two goals. A nice brace in the second half for him. What a superstar he is becoming. Um, his first goal, bit unlucky for West Ham. He shoots, deflection off Aguerd and scores. Lucky for Garnacho and Man U. Unlucky for Aguerd and West Ham. But his second goal is a tidy finish. And the talking point on that goal there is Calvin Phillips, who came off the bench and lost the ball to gift Man United the third goal and giving West Ham no return to the game. No chance of scraping a point, maybe two late goals. Nah, the third and it's finished. So yeah, Garnacho, a nice finish. People are starting to think Calvin Phillips started at West Ham. It hasn't gone very well. The last game lost the bowl against, which he started, lost the bowl against Bournemouth, and Solanke scored from it. So two games, two crucial errors that lead to goal. Um, so is he good enough? Is it just a thing of he needs time? He hasn't played first-team football, you know, regular first-team football in a while. But you would think him, you know, training with Man City and that, he would be at the standard where he could come and just go straight into West Ham and play really well. But clearly, that's not the case. And the win for Manchester United puts him in sixth place in the league. We have got a high-scoring game. Wolves 4, Chelsea 2. This is a big fact here. 1979 is the last time Wolves have won at Stamford Bridge, at Chelsea's home. 1979, 45 years. Wow. This win for Wolves also does put him, them in front of Chelsea in 10th place. Where do I start with Chelsea? You thought last season was a bit of a blur, finishing mid-table. You'd think, no, this season they're going to switch on. They have Pochettino come in, you know, start off in the pre-season continued in the games, they spent some money, got all these players at depth, they just haven't been at it. I'd say they've kind of been consistent, they, no, they have been consistent in how they have played, but the finishing product is what they lack, which is quite funny to be honest, not being a Chelsea fan, how they bought so many players, spent so much money, yet they still don't have you know, enough forward presence to finish the chances that they create. Um, but Chelsea did start off well with scoring the first goal by a beautiful bowl by Caicedo, splitting the lines and legit setting up Cole Palmer for a first-time finish, and he scores it. Cole Palmer, pff, what a player. Ice cold he is, ice cold. I, I am a fan of him, that's for sure. But then Wolves, when they have the ball, use it very effectively. You know, a bit counter-attacking, you know, or get the ball, do a little play, and then forward. They end up scoring the next four goals. A big one, Cunha, with his first Premier League hat-trick for Wolves. Cunha's first goal, it gets a bit lucky with the deflection, um, but the others, he slotted well. 
Um, one from the penalty spot and yeah, the first one, like I said, a deflection and the second one, he got it cut back into the box and he just run onto it first time finish. So congratulations to him, a hat trick. Good on him. I really like Cunha. I do. I thought him at Atletico Madrid, he just didn't get enough time or he just couldn't find his rhythm. But since the start of the season, him coming to Wolves, I've always seen him have the chance of that. And it's just been the case of can he finish him? And this game he has good, good investment by Wolves. The other goal that wasn't scored by Cunha, but for because you know Wolves scored four, he scored three. Um, it was a Diassi own goal. Very unlucky goal as Ait Nuri um, gets a cutback and he takes a shot and it just bounces off Diassi and goes in. Nothing you can do, you know, he's going firing that quick. You try to get a body in the way to stop it, but it just ended up going in. Unlucky for him. Um, another player, you know, came into Chelsea and he's played nearly every game, I think. Um, and he looks looks solid, looks solid. But sadly, you know, when you have a team like Wolves who every time they go forward, there is a danger threat well in this game especially they just capitalize on everything it's it's tough to tough to keep them out <laughs> but good news for Chelsea they get a nice consolation prize Thiago Silva gets a header from a corner yeah it doesn't mean anything they didn't try <sighs> they tried me mediocrity trying to get back into the game but they were just unable to and already you know late in the game when he scored two goals needed like you're gonna need a miracle at that point and it was just unable to happen um, nice for Thiago Silva get on the score sheet but nothing comes from it and like I said is Poch the man for the job um I think he is I think he is I think he just needs a bit more time I think a lot of people thought by this time he would be good enough and he would be flowing for Chelsea and they'd be going really good. I think, honestly, I predicted them to be fourth or fifth and for them to be in 11th place. Yeah, questions definitely have to be asked, but I think you've just got to trust the process. Like, this is his first season as manager as Chelsea. Yes, Chelsea had a stinker and they expected in the first season to go well and better than the last season, which it has. But they just haven't got enough points to really prove that it has been a lot better. But yeah, I think keep Pochettino in and it should hopefully come right at the end. And just to add on what I was saying, the forwards, a bit to their fault, the Chelsea forwards. They had one more shot than Wolves with 15, Wolves having 14, but they only scored two and Wolves scored four. So Cole Palmer, very good. And Cuckoo, um, poor, sorry, I don't remember if he came off the bench or not, but once he starts regularly playing, I reckon he'll be good. Matawake, he seems like a good promising talent, but it's just that final finish, that final product, which is the problem for all the Chelsea forwards and even those midfielders that play a bit more attacking. You know, Enzo when he gets a shot, Gallagher, but yeah, oh well, Wolves for Chelsea too. Speaking about Cunha getting his hat-trick, Foden also scored a hat-trick in the Man City vs. Brentford game. That ended 3-1 with, of course, Foden bagging all three goals. Um, I just want to touch on Foden for a bit. 
wow. I mean, he is world-class, you know, generational talent. Like, he is going to help England very well. This Euro's coming up, and he helps Man City a lot too. Um, you know, there's not much else to say about him. He is just phenomenal. He's going to be playing for a lot longer, and him at the moment, you know, him for the past couple years have been really good. He does well, he scores goals, he gets assists. If not, he plays well, dribbles past players, plays it off. And yeah, this is getting to the scary point of the season. If you're a top six fan, you know, City coming through after January and looking close to unbeatable. Um, they are just in another gear at the moment or close to getting to that next gear you know they've got pretty much no injuries you know De Bruyne's back and wow what an impact he is already having as you'd expect Man City had a lot of the ball and a lot of shots very dominant but when Brentford did get the ball they tried to make the most of it counter-attack as much as they could the first goal pff, wow it wasn't even from a counter-attack Flecken, who we'll touch on in a little bit, played very well, um, has a goal kick and absolutely lumps it into Man City's half. And Tony deserves props for this goal. Obviously, Flecken gets the assist. We'll give Tony assist assist because <laughs> he held off Ake, allowed Malpai just to get in behind the lines, get in the ball, takes a touch, scores past Edison. A lot of the Man City players thought it was going to be offside because Malpai was in fact offside when Flecken had the goal kick. You don't see normally the professional players themselves not knowing the rules, but from a goal kick, you can't be offside. So a very good start for Brentford, 1-0 up against City. Kind of expected a little bit because Brentford... You could say City's bogey team. You know, last season, Brentford beating them twice. The only team in the league to get the double over them in the season. Um, and yeah, the assist by Flecken, wow. And I'm going to talk about him now because he played phenomenal that game. Um, in the first half, massive save against Haaland, which you saw him on goal there. Everybody would have put their money on him to score how Haaland is. And, you know, him coming back, hasn't scored for a while, he's got to get a goal. But Flecken making himself massive and saving a crucial goal. That nine saves in the first half for Flecken. But sadly for Brentford, right at the end of the first half, let it slip, can't hold out to half time. And Foden gets his first of the night. Then second half, City step it up and put it into the next gear, really. Um, completely dominant, um, scored the two more goals by Foden, which he gets his hat-trick. Um, Brentford did have a couple chances. Tony won with a bit of an acrobatic, kind of half thought he would score, even though it was a very tough chance, like if he'd scores, then fair play to him. But um, yeah, Man City doing the job, 3-1, looking very good. But an interesting one from that, Ireland only team that he hasn't scored against is Brentford. I mean, it's fair enough because Brentford play a very low block, so it doesn't give Haaland any space to run into, 
and that's where he gets most of his goals because he's fast, he's big, he can hold off the players. One through bowl, you know, mostly by De Bruyne, and he's in. Because Brentford started so low already, he was unable to get through and break through the lines. Bournemouth won, Nottingham Forest won. Within five minutes, Bournemouth get a corner, and Sinistera gets some contact on it, and it's going in. But Justin Clivert just gets that finishing touch. Make sure it goes in, you know, just, just being a good bloke. <laughs> Goal is given to Justin Clivert. He didn't mean to, but, you know, it's just instinct. You see the bowl, the goal's there. You've got to make sure. Then right before halftime, Hudson-Odoi gets the ball from a free kick that came down, goes to him, takes a touch inside and slots it into the corner of the net. Very good finish by him. Then near the end of the game, Billings tries to break up play and just trip the goal scorer Hudson-Odoi who's on the break. But <laughs> instead of just, you know, clipping the calf, getting away with it, he gets studs up on him. He's given a straight red and sent off, giving Bournemouth no chance near the end to try and get a late minute winner. With Billings' red card, Forrest are just unable to find a winner and the points are shared and it ends 1-1. Um, this is probably the quickest game I have talked about and I do apologize about that because I do like to talk about, you know, the little teams just as much as the big teams, you know, Bournemouth and Forest. But not a lot having that game. There we go. That is the Premier League summary finish and on to the last game of the game week features. The Liverpool experience. Ah, this one's a bit of a tough one to start off with. Um, Arsenal 3, Liverpool 1. <laughs> Not starting the podcast on a on a good one, that's for sure. But I said this is a game week I'm going to start. Um, and again, apologies that it's late, but I was waiting for the mic. I thought the lineups were pretty good, pretty, you know, evenly matched. Um, it was pretty good knowing at the start that Jesus couldn't play due to a knee injury. Sadly though, the last game, Connor Bradley playing amazing. Um, people saying, will Trent start? Will Bradley start? Well, I was thinking for this game, which really would have boosted us, boosted us, I would have thought, play Bradley right back and push Trent into the midfield, given that even more attacking threat. And Bradley is solid as a right back anyway. But sadly, his father passed away before the match. So he was unable to play. Gomez started though, which is good. Um, I thought he deserved to keep his spot, even though Robertson is now fully fit. But he's proved that he's a very good fullback and can even play on this left now. The only other players we were missing was no Dominic Sabozlai, Sadly, still out with an injury. And Nunez was on the bench due to a foot injury, but I'll cover that a bit later. Um, Arsenal dominated the first half. Uh, Sack had a big chance in the 10th minute with a cross to him from Martinelli, but he just couldn't get there. It was a bit poorly timed from him, not be able to get his header on there, but it was a good little nudge from Gomez to put him off even more. Then they score. Gabriel plays it from the back to Zinchenko. And he plays it in the middle to Odegaard, which means Van Dijk has to step in because our midfield was still a bit up front and they just couldn't get back in time. Um, with Van Dijk stepping up, left space for Havertz to run in behind and goes in between of Canade and Van Dijk. Odegaard slips him the ball and Havertz is on in goal. Shoots, 
saved by Allison, but it bounces straight to Saka and he gets a rebound and scores. It reminds me a little bit of FIFA sometimes. <laughs> Him having the shot, keeper makes a good save, but they just get the rebound and score anyway, which, um, yeah, put a, put a bit of a hole in our defence, that's for sure, with that play there. But um, faults there, um, honestly, the whole midfield, I felt like there was not a lot of communication on who was kind of holding back a little bit. Um, Jones was a bit over, you know, Gavin Birch a bit too forward, McAllister too forward, um, and it just wasn't good enough. But luckily enough, right at the end of the half, we get a lifeline. Um, Allison booting it up the field from a goal kick to Diaz, who headers it down to Gravenperch, Perch, who is in a little bit of space, takes a touch, whips the ball back to Diaz, but Saliba gets there first, puts his body in front of the ball, but does not communicate with Raya, and Diaz gets around him, gets that little toe, toe poke of a touch on the ball, and Gabrielle off his arm and goes in. <laughs> a very, very lucky one for us, but a goal's a goal. Um, yeah, big mistake by Saliba and Raya, depends on how you're looking at it. Um, he's just trying to hold the ball off and they want to keep it and Raya to come out and collect it, but they're just not on the wavelength, not enough communication from both of them too. Saliba, all he could do was just look up, you know, or say, you know, Raya, Raya, you know, but no communication. When in doubt, you kick it out and that is not what he did and not good enough for, for Arsenal. And, you know, they let Liverpool back into the game, which really they we shouldn't have. We shouldn't have because we didn't play that first half very well. There was a couple times out on the wing with Trent. He looked, we looked pretty good whipping it in, but that was only about a couple times. The rest of it, Arsenal did very well dominate. And with that goal, like I said, Gabriel, so unlucky. There's nothing he can do. He's just trying to get in the way and Diaz just gets that touch on it and it just bounces off his arm. Very unlucky. Halftime 1-1. This is a pretty good situation to be in, to be honest. I was pretty happy with because I just wanted to hold on to halftime. 1-0 down, I didn't mind because um, I know we we step it a lot when we come into the dressing room down first half. Second half, we go out firing, you know, clock gets the team talk and we go out there and fly. And that's exactly what we did. We dominated that second half at the start, played really well, some chances, but we just couldn't score. We just couldn't get that final finishing product. Second half, we come out firing, you know, Klopp's team talk gets us up and about and we dominate, absolutely dominate until Arsenal get their second. Um, a bit before that, little Havertz shout for a penalty, you know, McAllister coming back and tackling him, but no chance. He got the ball first, you know, never a pen. But after us dominating, unable to score, uh, Saliba plays a ball over the top to Martinelli. Van Dijk let it bounce a couple times and just holds Martinelli. Will he clear it? Will he not? He doesn't. He tries to leave it to... Allison, but Martinelli gives Van Dyke a little nudge, puts him a little bit in front of the bowl, leaves Allison not able to clear it because Van Dyke's in the way, and he just jumps over it. <laughs> a big mistake, and Martinelli just gets 
an absolute gift of a goal. Bit similar with the centre back goalkeeping mess up in the first half for Arsenal, but happens to us in the second. Um, very unlucky time, and that's for sure. Dominating and then doing a mistake like that, but it happens. Even the best of players makes mistakes, and it was a bit of a big one. Same as a, as Arsenal's one. I think the centre back should have just cleared it. I think Van Dijk should have just. Cut across, you know, big physical presence across Martinelli, kick it out, but that's not how it played out. And sometimes that's a bit of a hindrance to the bigger teams. They try to keep the ball in spots where they probably couldn't even um, cause them to make even a bigger mistake when in doubt they should just kick it out. And with that goal getting in and giving Arsenal the lead 2-1, I don't think we necessarily crumbled. But, and I don't think we dropped our heads, but Arsenal just were back at their best and back at how they were playing the first half. They got that reassurance and we just couldn't get back up to pace and it just wasn't working. The only real chance we had after the second goal was McAllister had a volley from a corner just wide, but, you know, unable to... Getting get at anything else from it. Canado also yell, receiving a red card. He receives a second yellow card. Yeah, put, put put my bias aside. It was definitely a yellow card. You know, Canado comes across to Havertz and just stops him from playing. Havertz definitely made a bit of a meal out of it, flopping to the ground completely. But sadly, it was a yellow card. But Later on, for probably two, four minutes later, Gabriel was on Nunez. Nunez, you know, came onto the pitch and absolutely just grabs him and pulls him to the ground. Definitely a yellow card offence, and he was on a yellow card before that happened. Should have gotten a yellow as well, you know, both onto 10 men, but doesn't. <sighs> I mean, I don't want to talk about Anthony Taylor too much, but I think his refereeing that game was shocking. I think it was very one-sided for a lot of the time, given little fouls to Arsenal and no fouls for us. But it is what it is, and you just got to move on. Then for Arsenal's third goal to put the game to bed, Trossard gets a ball on the left, just above the halfway line, and puts the ball past Harvey Elliott, and he can't make it back. Diaz definitely can't make it back either. Played the whole game and just way too tired. Um... Yeah, Trossard all the way to the box, cuts in a little bit, takes a shot, gets a little deflection from Van Dyke's studs off his boots and gets through Allison's legs, which unlucky again from Van Dyke and Allison because Allison had that covered if it wasn't for Van Dyke's minuscule deflection. But, you know, you got to try your best to stop the ball in any way, shape, or form. And another thing just didn't go our way on the day sadly a game that definitely could have gone both ways but Arsenal because they get a bit lucky they did play better than us for more than 90 minutes but if they didn't score that second it would have been a lot different story I thought Mikhail Arteta's subs was pretty good putting Kiw off as Inchenko at halftime um, just to solidify that defense a little bit more and then for Trossard on and Martinelli off, I thought it was really good because Liverpool using um, all their forwards off the bench, 
before that and Diaz not being one of those men to come off the pitch, him knowing that Diaz has played the whole game, going to be tired, he's not going to be able to come back and help out um, Joe Gomez to stop Trossard. In the 58th minute, Liverpool making a triple substitution, Robertson on for Trent, Elliot on for Gravenberch and Nunez on for Gakpo. Um, some good subs. I really wanted Nunez on because we needed that really, you know, attack and threat, attack and spark to get get that goal to put us in front. But, you know, sadly that didn't happen in Arsenal. Scored, scored a goal. Um, Gravenberch, that game, sadly, he just wasn't at his complete best. You know, yes, he didn't get ball, the ball played to him a lot, but then also a bit of his fault too, not giving himself an option. Um, other games he played really well, but this one, not the one. And Trent as well, not the best game from him. Didn't get attacking opportunities much. And Martinelli bet him a few times, giving, him, giving Arsenal some good opportunities. Um, like I said at the start, players we missed, Bradley... Dominic Sabozlai, Endo as well off to the Asian Cup, and Salah off to the AFCON. Yeah, not at a full strength team. Arsenal only missing Jesus, but still I expected us to beat him, but it didn't happen. So, you know, we move, we move. Um, I've watched a couple of interviews after the game, Van Dyke taking full responsibility from him and Alice's mistake which he should do, you know, he's a captain, so, you know, it's a bit of both parties, um, I think, yeah, it is more Van Dyke than Allison because he just should have got it clear, same as Saliba, um, but, yeah, things happen, um, it's a bit disappointing, honestly, the first, you know, Liverpool experience segment, and it's just a bit, hmm, how you going, you know, I'm not that thrilled, I'm not trying to be high energetic, like, Arsenal 3-1 because I'm, I was upset when we lost. Obviously, it's been a week and a bit since then. Um, so I've, I've gotten over it. But yes, definitely because I, you know, I'll, I'll watch the games in the morning um, prior to the games because they'll be on at like 3.30 in the morning, 1 in the morning, you know, due to the time difference that I'm in Australia. Um, so I'll just watch them, you know, the next morning. And, you know, won't look at the scores or anything. So I'm like watching it live, but it's not live, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, and yeah, it was a bit disappointing. And yeah, talking about it now, the morale is, is, is getting lower, that's for sure. Um, but man of the match, Diaz or McAllister, but I'd probably give it to McAllister. Those are the only two plays that had a decent game, in my opinion. Everyone else was just off their best and didn't play how they usually do. Um, but I feel like McAllister, you know, on the ball a lot, making passes. He had a few shots too to try to get us in the game. Um, I mentioned Diaz because of that goal and, you know, a few other times him running down the wing, you know, given that, you know, our only really um, massive, massive chance to the game and, you know, scoring from it. But, yeah, I think McAllister more all-rounded wasn't like amazing game from him, but it was an amazing game from everyone. But McAllister, the best out of the bad bunch, sadly. When I'm talking about this man of the match too, it's not from the whole game. It's just Liverpool's best player of the game. 
because it's a Liverpool experience and that's what's going to be in the segment every time too. <laughs> Otherwise, it would probably be for Arsenal. Um, Saka. Yeah, he was pretty good. Um, yeah, what a player. Um, I kind of want to move on. But before that, um, this makes it Liverpool still on top with 51 points. Arsenal with 49 and City with 49. But City do have a game in hand. So once they play out all their games, they win them all and we win them all too. They could be one point in front of us on top. To be honest, this might sound a little bit outrageous, especially what just happened. But I'm not worried about Arsenal winning the league. Um, I'm a lot more frustrated us just dropping points to him because I don't see Arsenal winning. It's either us or Man City. Yep, we move. Hopefully next week will be a lot better. We got Burnley coming up, so that should be a lot better game. Also, before we finish off the Premier League summary and the Liverpool experience, just a, a pretty cool fact, to be honest, especially the first episode of the pod, there is a new record for goals in a single game week. The record used to be 44, but the new record is 45. And it, yeah, it's definitely the most scoring game, uh, goals for the game week. Um, you know, games like Chelsea, Wolves, 4-2, you know, even Man City, Brentford, 3-1, that's four goals there. So um, yeah, quite an interesting stat. It was good, a lot to talk about on the first time. This is where I'd usually talk about key games next week, like Liverpool versus Burnley. Um, obviously, it's a key game because we are going for Liverpool and we kind of focus it on this a bit more. Aston Villa versus Man U, West Ham, Arsenal, da 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 But they've already happened and I know the result of them. So we'll move on from that. Now, on a better note, we have Team of the week, my team of the week for the game week, um, which is me just picking 11 players, 11 of the best players in the game week, putting them in a formation of a team that I actually think could beat, you know, maybe a Man City, a Liverpool, you know, so on. So we will kick it off. We'll go from back line to front line. So for my goalkeeper this game, I have got Flecken, 12 saves and an assist versus Man City. He did concede three um, to Foden, but it could have been about six or seven if he wasn't in goal because he played really well. I mean, 12 saves and an assist kind of speaks for itself, definitely deserves it. I think Flecken's a really good keeper. He just needs to um, keep in form and Brentford need to keep playing well. So a very deserved Goalkeeper Flecken. The formation for this two, I've gone with a 4-2-3-1. Um, very attacking because, I mean, the fact I read out just before, 45 goals in a match week, new game record. Um, a lot of attackers deserve to be in and a couple still got missed out. So anyway, for my back line, I got four at the back. First one I have put in is Branthwaite. Very solid CB. Yes, he conceded two goals, but he also did get the last-minute equaliser to give Everton the point. So, yeah, solid, you know, he, and other games he's played really well, which obviously this has nothing to do with me picking him for the team of the week, but I just wanted to speak a little bit more about him. Um, young centre-back, Everton really lucky to have him, and, yeah, I thought he played solid this game week, and, I mean, yeah, the big... 
ticket for him into my team was the late minute equaliser that he got for Everton. Alongside him, I have put Gabriel. I know he did get the own goal, which was Liverpool's only goal, but it wasn't his fault, really. Like, there's nothing you could do. Like, I was thinking, or oh, should it have been Saliba? But no, Saliba kind of made the mistake for the goal where Gabriel didn't. He was just got unlucky in it. Um, yeah, of course, I watched the whole game of that. And he was just solid. He was just solid. Same with Saliba, apart from his mistake, his rise mistake, you could say. Very solid. That's why we couldn't couldn't score their whole defense, really. Yeah, there's not much else to say. It was a bit painful to put an Arsenal player in, especially when they beat us. And it's already killing the vibe, but it's all right. Um, at right back, I've got Diego Adalo. I think I was thinking of Trippier, you know, he got a goal and assist, but you're a defender and you can see four goals. Yes, you've gotten a goal and assist, but you can see it four. So I didn't go with him. I went with Dallo. He got a clean sheet against West Ham. Um, he, he was he was solid. What can I say? A really good slide tackle on Bowen, kind of near the end of the game in the second half. And yeah, solid clean sheet. Not much more you can ask for. He's been pretty good for Man U this season. You know, he scored um, a couple goals, I'm pretty sure. I remember his cru a crucial one outside the box, Screamer. But, yeah, no, very good right. In it left back, I put Hinshelwood. And at first, you may be like, whoa, he played left mid. Like, surely he can't play left back. Well, yeah, he can. He's played right back and he's played left back before for Brighton. Um, so he will definitely do a good job there. Um, he got a goal there and Brian very dominant and he was dominant in that performance. So he definitely deserved a spot in the team and I needed a left back and he would slot in perfectly in this team of the week. Then in the midfield too, these are, you know, defensive midfielders because I've got, you know, three pretty much, you know, attacking midfielders, you know, one in the middle, two a bit wider and then attacking up front. I need two defensive midfielders to hold this team together. Now, my first one is Jorginho. I know the safe bet is Declan Rice and maybe in that defensive role better than Jorginho, but I thought this game, he was better than Rice. I thought he played really well and he was the glue for Arsenal, you know, playing him some really crucial passes into the box. And I'm trying to think, did he make a mistake? No, and he just played really well, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to have to put another Arsenal player in because he played really well, and he standed out for me, in my opinion. You know, another good choice by Mikel Arteta for playing him. So, yeah, that's one of my defensive midfielders. I don't mind if he goes on the left or right. Next to him, I have got Casemiro. He had so many touch of the ball, very dominant in Man U's win against West Ham. Again, a clean sheet. He just played the ball well, good defensively. There's not much more you can ask for than that. So two defensive midfielders, Casemiro and Jorginho. In the forward line, for my essential attacking midfielder, I have got Phil Foden. I mean, do I have to speak much? Got a hat trick. Yeah, you deserve the spot on the team. Same with Matthias Cunha. I've got him as the left attacking mid. You know, plays a bit wider. And again, he's got a hat trick. He definitely deserves in the team. 
I think anybody who scores a hat trick is an automatic team of the week player for me. And then on the right attack in mid, I've got Richarlison. Two goals against his former team. One really good stunner outside the box. And his first one was a good finish as well. A cutback and a good finish. I know there's been a fair few times where players have been in a similar situation and hit it over the bar. So props to him. And yeah, two goals, he's done well. Then for my final forward player, you could say, I've got the three attacking mids and the player right up top to score the goals. We have got Fafana. Yep, maybe some people thought Watkins. I'll talk a bit more Watkins in just a bit. But I've picked Fafana. I mean, he got subbed on and got a brace for Burnley. That was a big fact for me. No Fulham 2-0 up. You know, oh yeah, let's put Fafana on, see what he can do. And he manages to get a brace and wins a point for him. So I think he definitely deserves or definitely deserves my team of the week spot up front. Players that um you could say I've missed or I left out and I want to, you know, talk, you know, honorable mentions, you could say. So yeah, no Watkins. He did get a goal and three assists, but I don't know. It gets Sheffield like like if a final wasn't wasn't an option, definitely Watkins. And I actually had Watkins in first, but I thought, no, Fafana, he scored two goals for Burnley to get him a point against a good Fulham team, you know? So I thought he did better there. Um, you know, fair play to Watkins. I thought, or oh, maybe two striker formation, but I thought, nah, <laughs> respectfully, nah. Now thinking about it, maybe I could have left out with Charleston. Watkins but I think you know Richarlison you know not always scoring goals and he scores two like he did he did really well against his own team you know Son's out um where Watkins you know and Aston Villa got all their players um you know and sis some say it's not as good as a goal some say it is a good goal but anyway he's not on the team for me no Garnacho or Rashford in the Man United win um Garnacho with two obviously obviously I would have put Garnacho above a Rashford, but I thought Rashford deserved a mention as well. Played really well, but again, not making it into my team. I mean, it's pretty hard to get in that forward line. Two hat-tricks and a brace. So, and yeah, I just thought Richarlison in for instead of Garnacho. Also, I've got another honourable mention here. Any Aston Villa midfielder, John McGinn, Tillemans and Dougie Louise all played really well and you've got to have a dominant midfield to win dominantly and that's definitely what they had but I just couldn't pick one specifically and I thought Casemiro coming back you know Dougie Louise yeah but it is against Sheffield like no offense to them of course but yeah that's I made my mind up the last player that I thought missed out and I'm a bit annoyed that I didn't put him in my team or that I haven't put him in my team but he just for my formation just didn't really fix and that is Barkley I thought he played really really well against Newcastle in their 4-4 draw getting a goal and assist um yeah but just couldn't have the space like I said you know I need a lot more defensive players as I've got a lot more attackers but definitely deserves a good mention Barkley another honorable mention uh Bukayo Saka but um respectfully I'm not putting him in and um that's my team of the week um I'll run through it again player by player 
goalkeeper, I've got Fleckin. My two centre-backs, Branthwaite and Gabrielle. Um, right back, Dallow. Left back, Hinshelwood. Uh, my two CDMs, I've got Jorginho and Casemiro. My central attacking mid, Foden. Left attacking mid, Cunha. Richarlison, right attacking mid. You know, they can play a bit wider as well too. And up front, I've got Fafana. Deep Darwin dive. The first one ever. Um, usually, I would be very excited about this find. Sadly, this is, again, same as Liverpool, a bit disappointing. Um, as you could work out by the title, you know, I just wanted to lead you on a little bit. Deep Darwin dive is pretty much me just looking in depth about Darwin Nunez's performance and for this one he came off in the fifth he came on in the 58th minute um due to his foot injury that he got from Chelsea um just needed to be rested a little bit no major concerns but he was unable to start sadly um could have been a big big help for Liverpool at the start but it is what it is he got 12 touches two in the opposition box took one shot which he blasted off target to the right, got a yellow card, but that's the chance I was talking about before with Gabriel, who he should have got his second yellow card sent off for dragging him down, but because there was, he wasn't even given as a foul, Nunez went off, arms flying, and he gets a yellow card for descent, which is some BS, and I am going to move swiftly on from that. Um, four passes, and really, he just didn't get in the game and he just couldn't get in the game just didn't get the ball played to him we didn't have many attacking chances when he was on the pitch and really we needed to find his feet a lot more to try and get you know an equalizer goal when they scored their second or even get that goal before they got their second but unable to get it and there's actually a fun fact that I saw too Liverpool have only lost four games this season and all of them Darwin Nunez did not start. Obviously, we got the one Arsenal. Um, we have the game at Spurs, which really should not count as a loss. And uh, I think this game versus Arsenal was our first loss in the Premier League and then two in the Europa League. So take that what you will. But I love him. He's a really exciting player to watch. And I reckon next week will be a lot more better and more to talk about because I reckon he will start and against Burnley, could get a goal or two. Top 10 centre-backs in the Premier League this season. This is going to be a fun one. I wanted to start off with a good top 10 list and hints by the name of the podcast, Backline Banter. I'm a defender myself, so I have a good knowledge, I would say, and I think this is a very good list. It, and some a bit different to others. And I, it's a good one. It's a good one. That's for sure. And I'll kick it off straight away. So on number 10, I have Konza. Aston Villa defender. I know sometimes he's had to play left back a few times. Digne out. Um, but played a lot of games for Aston Villa. And Villa's been really good this season. I thought I should have a Villa defender. Villa centre back in fact. And I think Konza can make the cut. Um, number nine, I've got Kurt Zuma. I think he's still a very solid centre-back. Um, 
just a no cut Sorrell. Um, but no, I think he's a very, very solid centre back, um, and deserves to make the list. Um, good for West Ham. Um, definitely West Ham's number one centre back, better than Aguard. Um, and he's done a solid job. In at number eight, I have Fabian Shah for Newcastle. Now, I know lately Newcastle have leaked a fair few goals, but Shah is a solid defender, and something I really like about him too, his forward runs are so good to watch. Like, his goal against PSG in the Champions League, I know, you know, we're talking Premier League, but he does that, and then in other games, he does the same thing. You know, goes there, cut a player, and takes a long shot, or does that, cuts that, and does a cut. And he scored a few goals himself as well. So I th- rightfully, I think he deserves eighth spot. Up in seventh, we have Jared Branthwaite, someone who um, has really only popped up this this season, and I think he's done a really good job at Everton. Um, again, this game week, scored the late equaliser for Everton, but apart from that, he's been very solid. Everton's got a few clean sheets, and he's definitely been a big help for that. And it's very promising, promising career ahead. And I think he's been super solid this season and deserves to be seventh in this list. Sixth, I've got Romero. Spurs have been really good defensively this season. Um, I was thinking Van de Ven get in the list too, but sadly he's been out for injury. He hasn't played enough games for my liking, but from what I've seen from Van de Ven, he has been really good. But yeah, Romero... Again, one of those proven players, very solid, very good for Spurs. Um, sadly, did make a little bit of a mistake this game week for that late goal. But yeah, he's, he's one of those Rolls Royces and will get a red card if need be. Yeah, very good. In fifth, and some people, a lot of people in fact, I think, will believe this man is too high on this list. But I think if you watch this bloke every week, week in, week out, you will understand why. In number five, I have got Kanate. Now, he no doubt was going in the list. It was just how high because he is so good for Liverpool. At some games, better than Van Nijk, some games. He just wins the ball so much from tackles. He drops in, puts the pressure on. And he's super solid. And he's definitely that centre-back that Van Dyke wants next to him. That's for sure. You have to watch to see what he does. Because the, the amount of tackles he makes, I've got not even a few players I can think of that has gotten past him. Solid in the air. And just all overall, the centre-back you want. That's for sure. He's young too. French quality. Uh, bit lost for words thinking about him because I think he's so underrated as well and that's why he's in number five I was thinking can I put him number fourth but no I've I've, I've got to try and stay unbiased as I can but speaking of number four I put Ruben Diaz in not much needed for it um solid center back um does the job week in week out you know someone you can always rely on you know a seven eight out of ten each week um, yeah, City's not as strong defensively this year. They've leaked a couple goals, um, but when he is playing and when they need him, he is very good. Number three, 
I've got Gabrielle. I think quality for Arsenal this season. Very good centre-back. He's even popped up with a few goals. I thought it was very crazy at the start of the season how he didn't play the first couple games, wasn't starting. But as soon as he got his starting position, he made that his spot and he's stayed there ever since and played super well. And I mean, a lot of these players, you don't need to say much. You know, they're just solid and that's it. We're going to move on to number two this season. I've got William Saliba. Someone like Gabriel, like most of these players on the list, solid every week. 8 out of 10. He also can pop up with a goal. And yeah, the way he plays is very good. Like to think that he wasn't in the Prem, not last season, but the season before that, is like, wow. Um, he's, he was at loan at uh, Marseille from Arsenal. And yeah, he's came back and he has shown what he's got about him. And he definitely deserves number two on the list. Very good. Um, only bad thing about him is he plays for Arsenal, just like Gabriel. But anyway, now we are on to the best centre-back this Premier League season. It's none other than my boy, Virgil van Dijk. You cannot tell me anything different. He has been quality nonetheless. His tackles, his plays, his... He doesn't even have to make tackles sometimes. He just reads the game so well, he'll cut it out before it happens. He'll push the player aside. Like, yeah, you, you don't need to say much. Like, people are saying, you know, oh, those two years. I mean, well, and I'm saying those two, two, three years where he was in his prime, best centre-back of all time. And he could have gone on for longer, but he got a bit of an injury and he's he's... Took, it took a little bit to get back to his best, but now I believe he's back to where he should be and quality, I mean, the fact that Liverpool's doing so well is a big fact because of him. Again, not much needs to be said. He's the best centre-back in the world at the moment and definitely deserves that number one spot for the top 10 centre-back currents at the moment. So I'll go through that list one more time. At number 10, I've got Konza, 9, Zuma, 8, Shah, 7, Branthwaite, 6, Romero, 5th, Kanate, 4th, Ruben Diaz, 3rd, Gabriel, 2nd, Saliba, and 1st, Van Dyke. Now, we have got ranking blind current Premier League players. This will be, I mean, I it can be all different sorts. It can be based on this season of all time in the Prem. You know, anything you can think of. For this first top five list, I'm going to go current Premier League players this season. First player we have is Lissandro Martinez. Now, if it was his all-time Premier League career, he would be, like, pretty high, you know, if it was based on all the current Premier League players. But it's for this season... Only. He's only played seven games. Yeah, where am I going to put him top five? He can't be that high because he doesn't play a lot. But then again, we could also get an absolute stinker because this is off everyone in the Premier League that's played at least 500 minutes. So I could get somebody that gets a sub every 500 minutes. But is he better? 
So to start off with, I'm going to put him at number four. It's a pretty safe bet. I can't put him too high because he hasn't played many games. Next player we have got is Casemiro. You wouldn't believe another Man United player. And another one that hasn't played that many games. Although more than Martinez. He's played 11, uh, 903 minutes. Martinez had like just over 500. So yeah, this season... I think I would probably go for third spot. Again, it hasn't played enough games. Um, has been good when he has played games, but yeah. I'm I'm going a bit risky. I am assuming for some, you know, some pretty big players who've played a lot. Because now I've only got five. Samiro, <laughs> wow, this is starting to look like it is rigged. Because I have now gotten Luke Shaw. Um, I swear it's not. Um... I can kind of tell you how it is. I don't think that's going to change anything. But i just gone football critic and current players played at least 500 minutes. There's a bunch of pages, random ge number generator in Google. Get the page number and how many players that can go through. And yeah, I'm on Luke Shaw, which it's a tough one. He's only played 11 games, 919 minutes. If I had to pick a spot, I think he's been better than Martinez because, you know, again, he's played more. And he's played just as much as Casemiro. But I think when Luke Shaw has been playing, he's been better than Casemiro. So I am going to put him two. Although these players, oh, they don't deserve to be this high. Like I was saying, we can get a whole different range of players. Next up, we have Luca Colesho. He is a Burnley winger. He's only played a few games, so he's going fifth. And last but not least, we have got Edouard which we've only got the first spot left, so he's going to go first, um, which I don't mind, to be honest. He's played the most games out of all of them. Um, We're 15. He's bagged six goals. So currently for this season, he deserves number one. And I think for the first one, it is a pretty fair list. Five, Kalev Show. I know I didn't speak much for him, but... It, to be fair, I haven't heard of him much. Um, he hasn't played that many minutes. Um, then Martinez, four, which again hasn't played. Third, Casemiro. I think Casemiro's been better than Martinez. Second, Shaw, who's been better than Casemiro. Then first, Edward, Edward. So I think that is a pretty good blind ranking top five list. I was going to do another one, but I thought this has been going long enough for now. So I think we'll leave it at there. Pretty successful episode for number one, Backline Banter. I appreciate you guys for listening or watching and would appreciate if you rate me five stars, give me some feedback, subscribe, um, whatever you can do, whatever you're watching, whatever. And I'm out. Peace.